بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائد درو الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجين اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجين Today's program is very special in the sense that it shows us the importance of the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa and how each and every member of the society should be involved in this. I know the title was In the Footsteps of Maryam salam, and Maymuna radiallahu anha and then A Woman's Guide to Serving the Cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And because of which, obviously, we can see we have less men present than normal. And somebody actually asked me, is this for brothers as well? And I can understand uh, from the title of the program, people could think it's a sister's program. However, when we speak about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, we speak about Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i, when we speak about Salahuddin Ayyubi rahmatullahi, when we speak about Hadad Tanwi, Hadad Gangohi rahmatullahi, when we speak about the Prophet Zakaria alayhi salam, Yusuf alayhi salam, Adam alayhi salam, don't the sisters also listen as well? Don't they also partake? So we have this notion sometimes that if it's speaking about men, then the men will listen. And if it's about ladies, then it's only for the ladies. Whereas what we're going to speak about today is they're not fairy tales. We're not speaking about any pious woman. We're not going to speak about like say Rabia Basriya rahmatullah who was a great and pious woman, you know, without a doubt. But we're going to speak about two women who have been mentioned, one in the Qur'an and the other in the hadith of the Prophet So not only is today's discussion uh, a, a time to reflect and take many lessons for women, our mothers, sisters and daughters, but also men will also take many lessons as well. Just like when we go for Hajj and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved the actions of the wife of Ibrahim salam, Hajar, when she went from the Mount of Safa to Marwa and Marwa to Safa. Now when the people go for Hajj, is it only the women that do Safa to Marwa and Marwa to Safa? Or the men as well, everybody. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us all. Rather, the men follow her more than the women because she ran. And you know, the women have been told like, you take it easy, you walk in between, but the men, you need to run and copy Hajar just the way as she did. So today's discussion is different from that aspect where we are showing how our deen is inclusive of everybody. So that's from the brother's angle. So brothers, you know, this is just as much for you as it is for the sisters, number one. Secondly, many a times, sisters in today's society may hear certain types of criticism against our religion saying, women and females are not represented we don't have a say we are not given a position we, we don't have a role to play it's always about the men you speak about the men and why is it and 
in reality, that just shows that a person that has not studied the Quran and has not studied the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, only they would say such things. Women have played significant roles in shaping uh, communities, in spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in reviving the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hearts of people, and in serving the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hajar, for example, being one example we just said. When we say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, innaka hamidun majid. We are remembering also Hajar in our salah every single day because of the significant role that she played. And even when we do speak about the men, many a times the men are only there because of the women, the great women that were behind them, who gave them the upbringing, who gave them the guidance, and who were their support and pillar. When we speak about the Prophet wasallam, we're speaking about such a great personality that when he started his prophethood, where did he start from? He started his prophethood from the arms of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. When he got the revelation, Iqra bismi khalaq, where did he go? He went straight to the arms of Khadija. It was Khadija who comforted him. And when he passed away and left the world, where did he pass away? In the lap of Aisha radiallahu anha. So it starts with the woman and he ended with the woman as well to show that this deen is inclusive of everybody. So when we've been speaking about the topic of Masjid al-Aqsa, we don't want anybody to feel, whether it be the men, whether it be the women. So men wouldn't feel that because normally we speak about men generally. We speak about the likes of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu when he entered Baytul Maqdis. We speak about Dawood alayhi salam. We speak about Salahuddin al Ayyubi rahmatullah However, women can sometimes feel that in, this is such a significant uh, cause and everyone's talking about it in the world. Where do we play a part? Do we have any representatives? Are there any role models that we can follow? And what can we do to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa? So today we will study the lives of two women in particular, inshallah, in the time that we have to learn many, many lessons that we can take from them, inshallah, in learning how to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, when we look at the women of the world, we can split them into two categories. The first category are those women who are in Baytul Maqdis, who are in Masjid Al-Aqsa, who live in Jerusalem, who are surrounding the area. And the rest of the women are those who are out of Jerusalem, who don't live in Palestine, whether they be in a country which is closer, like Jordan, for example, or a little bit more distant like Turkey, for example, or even further like the UK, for example, or much more further like many of the other countries around the world. Every single Muslim can take part in serving the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And these two women are going to give us guidelines and are going to show us how this can be done. For the women that live in Baytul Maqdis, for them, their role model is none other than Maryam alayhi salam. Maryam alayhi salam because she lived there, she was born there her entire life and her mere existence was for the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa as we'll speak about in a moment. Many lessons to be learned. And then for the women who are around the world, who are out of Palestine, for them to learn how to serve the cause of Baytul Maqdis Masjid al-Aqsa is none other than Maymuna, 
bintu Sa'ad radiyallahu ta'ala anha not one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam rather one of these she is known as the maulat of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam she was a slave uh, a slave girl and she was freed by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and she would serve the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam just like Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu ta'ala anhu Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu Ibn Abbas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu just like these Sahaba would feel honored in serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam she was one of those who served the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam who was in his private residence who knew him closely who heard directly from him who was nurtured directly by the Prophet so inshallah in the short time that we have we're going to take lessons from these two great women so those who are in Baytul Maqdis their role model is Maryam bintu Imran Maryam the daughter of Imran and we'll speak about that inshallah Quran speaks about her 34 times in the Quran she's mentioned and for the women who are out of Palestine an example for you is Maymuna bintu Sa'ad radiyallahu ta'ala anha from the who, who served the household of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and like I mentioned earlier these are lessons just as they are lessons and a guide for women this is a guide for men as well because what they did these the the the, the legacy that they've left behind uh, this is applicable and something that can be implemented by men and also women as well. So let us take the first example of Maryam alayhi salam. Now Maryam, she's the daughter of Imran. Now in this Quran, we have first surah is Surah Al-Fatiha. Then we have Surah Al-Baqarah. Then we have Surah Al-Imran massive surah one of the largest surahs in the quran so we've just started the quran and we've come to surah al imran al means family family of imran who is imran imran is the father of maryam so this surah the name of this surah is the family of imran what's the family of imran so you've got imran as the father his wife is hanna as the mother who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the quran and Allah praises her and Allah elevates her and speaks about her very, very highly in the Quran. So we've got Imran, his wife, Hanna, and then their daughter is Maryam, alayhi salam. So she's got mentioned there in Surah Ali Imran. And then we have a whole surah called Surah Maryam. And this is something amazing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us that this woman, Maryam, she was a descendant of the prophets possibly from the lineage of harun alayhi salam ishaq alayhi salam and she grew up in a household of taqwa of piety and she was chosen and selected by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the quran again in surat ali imran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says inna allah astafa adam wa nuh wa ala ibrahim wa ala imran ala al-alamin that indeed allah has chosen and selected adam alayhi salam nuh alayhi salam the family of ibrahim alayhi salam and the family of imran above all the rest of mankind so number one we learn that she was chosen and selected by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now let's look at how she came into the world her birth and this is something powerful and amazing 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually speaks about this in the Quran. I mean, it's quite interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, why is he telling us this? What happened at the time? The backstory to understand is Masjidul Aqsa in those days. Baytul Maqdis was occupied by mischief makers at the time. This is the backstory to understand. We always hear these stories. But what, what, is, what is the reason for mentioning this? The reason for mentioning as we learn from the ayat of the Quran. So Masjidul Aqsa at that time called Baytul Maqdis is occupied. There is fear of corruption overtaking the land and the area. Now what happens? There is this woman, Hannah, who doesn't have any children. So she's married. Her husband is Imran. And Imran is one of the imams of Masjidul Aqsa of Baytul Maqdis. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Surat Al-Imran. So he's one of the imams there, one of the scholars of Masjidul Aqsa. So Imran, again, you've got a direct mention of somebody who's representing Masjidul Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis in the Quran, in this surah by mentioning Imran. He wasn't a prophet, but he was a very pious person. And his, him and his wife didn't have any children. And they were desirous of children. And they continued to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And once her dua was accepted and she realized that she had conceived, she made a vow. She made a promise. This promise she made was so powerful, so sincere, so blessed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in the Quran. So this is, this is a woman who's conceived. It's such a private thing. And secretly, between her and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she makes a vow and a promise. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings this in the Quran and it will be recited until Qiyamah. And then what follows after that is all a result of this. So this is the first lesson that we're discussing. Having a sincere and a good intention. So what happens? Quran mentions this. That Allah says when the wife of Imran and these scholars of Tafsir mention her name was Hannah. So when the wife of Imran, so Allah is calling her Imra'atu Imran, the wife of Imran. When the wife of Imran, she said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I make a vow that this child which is going to be born, now she's conceived, I dedicate this child for you, O Allah. What was the dedication? Her dedication was that this child, because you've granted me a child, as a means of thanksgiving to show gratitude to you, I'm going to dedicate this child for the service of Masjid Al-Aqsa, for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, why would you dedicate a child for the sake of Masjid Al-Aqsa? Because there was a threat, there was danger, there was fear of chaos and corruption at the time, and they were working to preserve the sanctity of Masjid Al-Aqsa, just like the Palestinians are now, and just like Muslims globally are trying to raise their voices. So she said, Oh Allah, this child, when it's born, I want to dedicate it for the sake of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Fataqabbal minni. Oh Allah, please accept it from me. How sincere must her dua have been, her vow secretly done. And then she says, Innaka anta sami'ul alim. Oh Allah, you are the all-hearing, all-knowledgeable. Now you all know the story. What happens? Falamma wada'atha. 
قَالَتْ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَضَعْتُهَا أُنْثَرْ Now when she delivers, what happens? It's a girl. She delivers a female. And Wallahu a'lam Allah knows what she was going to deliver. Obviously, a male child is not like a female child. Okay? A female is a female and a male is a male. This is why we have a distinction. So she thought that for such a great task of not just serving Masjid al-Aqsa, but to liberate it from the corruption and the occupation which they could see, that's going to be carried out possibly by a male child. But when it was a girl and a female that was born, she was surprised. She wasn't complaining, but it was a bit of a surprise because of the vow that she had made. Nevertheless, she says, وَإِنِّي سَمَّيْتُهَا Maryam." I name her Maryam. Some scholars have said Maryam actually means Khadima to Baytir Rabb. The Khadima and one who serves the house of Allah. Which house of Allah is referred to? Masjid al-Aqsa. So Maryam, the name, name Maryam actually is the name of the person who serves Baytul Maqdis and Masjid al-Aqsa. And oh Allah, I place this child, meaning Maryam, and her children in your refuge from the outcast devil. As a result of which we learn from the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, when a child is born, every child cries. And the hadith tells us this a child cries because shaitan pinches you at that time. And this is why you cry, except for two. And then he sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentions Maryam and her son Isa ibn Maryam. And this is again, look at the barakah of a sincere dua, vow, intention, and having that courage that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted. Now Allah speaks about how he accepted her. Do you know when Allah accepts somebody? فَتَقَبَّلَهَا رَبُّهَا بِقَبُولٍ حَسَنٍ Allah says, Allah accepted her with a beautiful acceptance. وَأَنْبَتَهَا نَبَاتًا حَسَنًا And granted her a beautiful upbringing and nurturing. وَكَفَّلَهَا زَكَرِيَّةً And he entrusted her to a prophet to look after her. Zakariya alayhi salam. And then the story goes on. كُلَّمَا دَخَلَ عَلَيْهَا زَكَرِيَّ الْمِحْرَابِ وَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا رِزْقًا We'll speak about these things inshallah as we go along. So the first thing, the first lesson for everybody, brothers and sisters, and sisters can realize that it's not that difficult to serve the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa. The first thing every single person needs and we learn not from Maryam, from the mother of Maryam. How did Maryam became who she was? It was the sincere and the good intention made by her mother, Hannah, who's mentioned in the Quran by Imra'a to Imran, the wife of Imran. Her sincerity and her good intention. What did she say? She made this vow that this child that you've granted me, this blessing, this ni'mah that you have given, I want to dedicate it for the cause and the service of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Because Masjid Al-Aqsa is a place of barakah, it's the epicenter of barakah. When you make an intention to dedicate anything for that cause, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants barakah. In Jumu'ah, we, we spoke about Nuruddin Mahmud Zinki rahmatullah alayhi. 
how Allah granted him barakah in his intention, where he made a mimbar to be placed inside Masjid al-Aqsa. And at that time, Masjid al-Aqsa was occupied by the crusaders. So there was no, you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at that time. You could see darkness. It was bloodshed. It was killing. There was no salah, no adhan in Masjid al-Aqsa. But the sincerity of his intention when he built that mimbar and he placed it in, 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 in Aleppo, in Halab at the time in Syria. 20 years later, he saw the acceptance of that sincerity of the intention. And not just then, Allah accepted it so 800 years it remained in Masjid al-Aqsa. And even though it got burnt down, even now when you go, you will see a replica of that. Oh, seven to ten years were spent. Seven years were just spent studying that member. I forgot to mention in Juma something that the first colored photograph of that magnificent member was taken only two weeks before it was burnt down in 1969. 21st of August 1969 is when it was burnt. Two weeks prior to that was the first time a colored photograph of that was taken. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed that to happen so that at least today we see a replica of it. Otherwise, it would have been difficult to, for the engineers to try and produce something like that which was done and created. You know, from photographs, they've had to do it. Uh, so nevertheless, so this is the first lesson that we learn from the life of Maryam alayhi salam that her mother, she became who she was because of the sincerity of the intention. So at that time, did she realize what she's asking for? No. The end result isn't in our hands. Allah is not going to ask you about the outcome. It, make the intention as great as you can. She made the intention and she was sincere and truthful. That look, oh Allah, you've blessed me. I want to dedicate this child. I want to dedicate this child for the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa. How, how Allah blessed her, the whole story goes on. That was the beginning and everything that comes after it, including Isa salam, is a result of what she did. So what happens after that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes all the arrangements. Allah accepts, then he makes all of the arrangements. So let's now look at the connection of Maryam with Masjid al-Aqsa and how she served Masjid al-Aqsa. First of all, we find that she was born in Baytul Maqdis. So in terms of her ID, she is a Maqdisi. She is a Jerusalemite. She's a Palestinian in today's language. We'll say that Maryam was a Palestinian. I mean, she's got a Palestinian passport, we can say. Nevertheless, so now when she makes this intention that I want to dedicate this child for serving Masjid al-Aqsa. Now look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. Allah blesses her with a female child and not a male child. Now, if this story wasn't mentioned in the Quran, maybe we would have never heard of it. It would have happened. People would have no, taken notice of it at the time. But the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in the Quran is teaching us all a lesson that you don't have to be a male to carry out these tasks. Women have also played significant roles. Yes, there are certain selected roles which males will carry out. 
maybe for example being the khalifa calling out the adhan being the imam of salah but this isn't this is this isn't the whole of islam sometimes some people take these things and say oh why can't women do this why can't? this is not the whole of islam you've got the whole of islam there there are so many roles that can be carried out and so much that can be done look at the life of maryam she didn't go rushing to say that make me the imam zakaria was the imam before her him her father imran was the imam she was she had many other characteristics and she carried out her duties in many different ways and we learn as we go along so first of all we learn that it wasn't a male but she had made this intention and a vow to dedicate this child for the service of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed her. Now let's look at some of the ways in which she served Masjid Al-Aqsa and we can take lessons from there insha'Allah. First of all, number one, her what we call ribat. And ribat is something that the people in Palestine are doing now. Ribat means to safeguard, to look after, to frequent, Anything that is significant in Islam, one of the symbols, sha'air of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the boundaries, and to ensure that it is not desecrated, it, 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 is, it, is, it is not harmed, it is not polluted, and it's looked after, its sanctity is maintained, to frequent it, to remain there steadfast in the face of the opponent or the enemy and to resist everything this is ribat and this is what maryam alayha salam did we learn this from the ayah of the quran quran says every time zakaria entered the chamber in masjid al-aqsa maryam was there and there were provisions so we always speak about the provisions, but it tells us, it seems that Maryam spent more time in that chamber of Masjid Al-Aqsa even more than Zakaria Zakaria is coming and going, but Maryam had dedicated her time and this was the vow that the mother had made. So first of all, she was a regular. She frequented the masjid. She was there all of the time and we see this in the Palestinian women today that they are following in the footsteps of Maryam and they are there. They are there for the time of Salah. They are there outside Salah. They are having halaqat of ilm, halaqat of tafsir, halaqat of dhikr. And when the incursions happen in Masjid Al-Aqsa, you don't just find the men, you find the women present as well. Just like the men raise their voices in takbir, the women are also there as resisting and in ribat, following the footsteps of Maryam salam. And this is why the conversation then takes place because Zakaria every time he comes, okay, he finds that there are provisions already there. Provisions are already there and he asked her, Maryam, where do you get this from? And what did she say? This comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember, this is all, all this barakah started from where? That dua and that vow the mother made. It's starting from there. This is all a result of that. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessing him. And so much so that this blessing was so amazing. And what happened with Maryam was so inspiring 
that he actually inspired a Nabi like Zakaria even he took inspiration from Maryam and thought wow that's amazing you're getting fruits and provisions and uh, supplies provisions and supplies from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly the same Allah that's providing you of course he can provide for me as well now Zakaria was very old we go to Surat Maryam and he's making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when did he make this dua? When did this kaf haya ayn saad dhikru rahmati rabbika abdahu zakariya idh nada rabbahu nidaan khafiya qala rabbi inni wahana al-azmu minni washta'ala al-ra'su shayba that oh Allah my bones have become weak I have become old my hair has become white my wife is barren I am old my wife is old but look at the situation this chaos this corruption this occupation the reason they didn't just want a child just so that we can also say oh we've got a child as well no it was and now i want my child to be my inheritor now you might think did he have a lot of wealth and he thought oh my wealth is going to go to waste if i don't have any children so let me quickly pray for a child even though i'm nearly 90 years old so that my child can inherit my wealth and it, no we learn the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he says in the ulama the inheritors of the prophets and then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that the prophets don't leave behind wealth the prophets don't leave behind wealth and they, they their inheritance doesn't continue anyway what do they leave behind? They leave behind ilm. They leave behind ilm. And this is what it means over here. That the deen and the preservation of the deen. And in particular at the time, it was the cause of Baytul Maqdis and Masjidul Aqsa. There was corruption. And this is the same corruption that then led to the attempted assassination of uh, Zakaria Some of the sources mentioned they actually killed him. Some of the sources mentioned they actually killed Yahya alayhi salam. Some of the sources mentioned that they would attack Maryam alayhi salam and slander her. And then those were the same people that went to try and crucify Isa alayhi salam. But Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah and Muslims believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him up to the heavens. So this was the current situation and the climate of Masjidul Aqsa and Baytul Maqdis at the time. You can, it's relatable because we can see it happening today. So his concern for a child. So think about this is how they lived. They, li they lived for this cause. So even their birth was for, Maryam's birth was for the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa. The, the birth of Yahya alayhi salam was for the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa. He says, oh Allah, please give, where? now, what inspired him to make this amazing dua? He was making dua anyway. But what inspired him to then go and make this heartfelt, powerful dua, which then resulted in the acceptance of the dua, Quran says, when he entered the chamber and he saw Maryam having all of this, and when she responded that, it is Allah that sends this to me. This is Quran. The, it is at this time. And when upon seeing this, Zakaria said, Rabbi habli tayyiba, Oh Allah, grant me pious offspring. You always listen to du'as. You always listen to du'as. Whereas he hasn't had a child. But this is how they spoke to Allah with so much etiquette and adab. Oh Allah, you, you've never let me down. He says, Oh Allah, every time I've prayed, you've never let me down. Whereas he'd been making the du'a for so many years. 
And this is their adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even Zakaria took inspiration from Maryam. So I don't see why today men cannot take inspiration from these inspiring women and learn lessons from them. And then the story goes on how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with a child, Yahya alayhi salam. Yahya alayhi salam was actually one of the lecturers inside Masjid al-Aqsa. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentions in the hadith regarding this that when he would be speaking and lecturing in Masjid al-Aqsa, there would be thousands of people in attendance. And one of the, the five advices of Yahya alayhi salam have been mentioned in the hadith that he delivered in Masjid al-Aqsa. Anyhow, that's for another time. Now, we find an example of this in the women of Palestine. Do you know, I remember we were in Palestine in Masjid al-Aqsa, I think it was 2014. And um, what used to happen prior to that is, you've heard about the incursions that happen every single day. 7.30 to 11.30, 1.30 to 3.30, the Zionist incursions happen in Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, what used to happen up until 2014, uh, I remember this very clearly, that the, 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 the men that were present inside the masjid, when these incursions would happen, they would all try and get together in, in different circles. Um, and they would all do takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And everyone's doing takbir. As a result of which the people that were uh, invading Masjid Al-Aqsa, they would quickly rush out because they didn't like the sound of Allah's name. So what started happening is the occupation made a plan to arrest anybody that does takbir aloud in Masjid Al-Aqsa will be arrested. So slowly, 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 what they started doing is they started arresting many of the men. Now anybody does takbir loud whilst the incursion is taking place, they get arrested. Then for two weeks, you can't come anywhere close to Masjid al-Aqsa. You, six months, you can't come to Masjid al-Aqsa. You, one month, you are banned. And this is what they started doing. So they started clamping down on men. And a time came when many, 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 many men were arrested uh, just for saying the takbir inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So what happens now? The women rose up and they thought, okay, this is now time for us to be the Maryam of today. And they took this role now. Now what happens? Because in the, ma in the masjid, the men who used to do ribat either have been arrested or they are banned. And in those times from entering Masjid, so they would allow them in for Isha, for example, but they wouldn't allow them at those certain times when the incursions were going to happen. They would ban them from, from the entrance. So now Masjid Al-Aqsa has lost many of its men that were frequent regulars that would do ribat. So the women decided we need to take up this role. And I remember witnessing this, that you'd get like, Pockets of women scattered everywhere throughout Masjid Al-Aqsa. Sometimes you've got a group of 50 women. They've sat underneath an olive tree. It's not Salah time. So they've sat there and they're, doing a, they're giving a lesson of Tafsir. Underneath another tree, a lesson of Hadith, a lesson of Fiqh. So they are busy now teaching and learning and the halaqat of ilm inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. When the incursions would happen, everybody would stop. They'd close their Quran, they'd close their book of Fiqh, they'd close their book of Hadith. And these women in their hundreds, all in one voice, they are all saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And it was surely iman boosting because you'd feel ashamed as being a male. You think, you know, 
these are women and they are you know resisting to the incursions and the desecration and the pollution of Masjid Al-Aqsa and we are, are not doing anything we're just standing around silently and the whole world is silent and these women mashallah Allah has given them the strength and the courage and the resistance to take this role so this continued for some time and the people would come and the incursions would quickly run out again because the sound of takbir was vibrating was echoing inside the whole of the masjid you can ask anybody who's witnessed this and they will tell you it was it was an it was ecstatic to witness that and so the, in that particular year 2014 they introduced a new rule so and uh, and, and that was at the time of dhuhr no women are allowed inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is what they introduced. It's not there anymore. But temporarily they thought, how can we, we've stopped the men, how can we stop the women now? Because they thought if we start arresting the women, it's not going to look good just because they said Allahu Akbar and you know, it won't make us look good. So what they started doing, women will not be allowed to enter Masjid Al-Aqsa for Salatul Dhuhr. So when we would attend there, you know, so the women would have to pray in another one of the local... By the way, inside the old city of Jerusalem, beside Masjid Al-Aqsa, there's another 35 masajid. Small, small masjids, 35 masjids. Um, obviously, Masjid Al-Aqsa is the main masjid, it's the largest one. So women were not allowed. Now, if it was us, we'd just say, right, okay, we're not allowed, what can, what can we do? No. They thought to themselves, despite the ban, we can't allow this to happen. Our men can't go inside. We've been prevented, but that, does that mean we give up? So the women, they made a plan. The women of Palestine made a plan. And what they did was that during this period, they made a plan where there are certain houses in, uh, that are very close to Masjid Al-Aqsa, and some of their entrances, their doors or their windows, open up into Masjid Al-Aqsa. And within their houses, like we all do, there's manholes. Some of these women, to carry out this role and to ensure that there's somebody representing them inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, what they did was, they would enter into one of the sewers. So you've got women entering into the sewers, going through the sewer, coming out in one of the houses of the Palestinian women that live next door to Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now the sister would be ready on her end. She'd go and purchase a whole pile of extra clothing and she'd get her washing machine ready. When these women would come out from the sewers, okay, they would take off their clothing. She would give them fresh pair of clothing and then they would enter from her window into Masjid Al-Aqsa and go and carry out their role. And whilst they've gone there, she'd be busy there washing their clothes and when they return then they would come back and and go back from there and this is something that was witnessed you can ask the people there and this is the 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 himma the courage the intention the sincerity that women have women so maryam salam was uh, an example and we can see uh, and this is one story there are many many stories time doesn't allow us to go into talking about the stories but there's a whole this you, you can fill a book explaining to you the, the the stories and the courage and the resistance of the women of Palestine and how we can take examples I'm not saying we should go there and start going through the sewers I'm not saying that what we're saying is where there's a will there's a way 
And if somebody wants to do something, they will do it. And when we make an intention, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show you ways. Very recently, there was a video going around. Many of you will have received it and seen it. The Middle East Eye had published it. And before that as well, it's been circulating by an elderly Palestinian woman, Hajja Nafisa. And she is one of those women who we're talking about now, who are regular, always in Masjid Al-Aqsa. Whereas she lives so far, she lives on, uh, at the top of the mountain. And she's old, elderly. So she would attend in one of them tuk-tuks, you know, them small buggies kind of thing. And it takes so long. And it would take her so long to come. And she'd come five times a day to Masjid Al-Aqsa. However, because of her frequency in Masjid Al-Aqsa, because of her standing up against the occupation and resisting the incursions, she's been banned from, from Masjid Al-Aqsa many, many times. So I, this is a video to see. A lot of you will have already seen it. And if you haven't, I, I, I definitely recommend that you, you, you try and see this. Maybe Brother Adil can put it in the, in the comments or the, comments, the, the, the chat section of the, of the video if you can find it, um, uh, the link to it. And you'll see what she does. She's an elderly woman. So now, because she's banned, she's not given up. So every day in her tuk-tuk, she goes onto the Mount of Olives where you can see the full view of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And from there, she makes du'as, she does her adhkar, and she imagines being in there, remembers the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Mi'raj and all of the other amazing incidents. Then she comes down the mountain and she's made it her aim that any elderly people, sick people, young children that need a lift to go to Masjid Al-Aqsa, she will take them on, on her way. So she, this is what she's doing. And then she'll take them on the way, she'll drop them off, she'll help them carry their shopping and then take them all the way inside. She can't go inside because she's banned. But despite that, she makes the journey five times a day from on top of the mountain. And she reaches there, she prays her salah at the gate. She remains there, she encourages people passing by. And she remains there throughout the day as if she's praying inside or despite her ban. But she's going, she's still serving the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa and she's doing her bit. This is one example. There are many, many examples like that. Nevertheless, so that's one lesson that we can learn is having a truthful and sincere intention. The other way that Maryam salam served the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa is by remaining in the company and benefiting from the company of the pious. And in particular, we're speaking about Prophet Zakaria Now, this is, was a, a blessing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted Maryam alayhi salam. Again, that dua and the vow her mother made, it's still showing its fruits. So not only was she granted this opportunity of doing ribat in Masjid al-Aqsa, her custodian became a nabi, someone who's innocent. Whereas you will, you will see in the Quran, that all of the other imams, rabbis, whatever they were, they were all fighting. And they were all saying that we want to look after Maryam and trust Maryam to us. Quran tells us this. O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you were present when they were debating about Maryam, which one of them is going to be entrusted with the responsibility of looking after Maryam. Why, why is it that they wanted to look after her? Because they knew about the sincere vow her mother had made, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had accepted it, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was blessing her with these provisions, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had granted her this amazing nurturing and upbringing. They knew 
and they knew that she was the daughter of Imran, who was also a significant person. He'd passed away by this time. So they're all fighting amongst themselves that we want that responsibility of looking after her. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided that this is going to be done by none other than an innocent being, somebody who has not committed any sins, who can't commit sins, who is pure, who is really truthful, one of the prophets of Allah, none other than Prophet Zakaria alayhi salam. So now she is under the care of Zakaria alayhi salam. You can imagine how much she benefited from his company. She learned from him and she studied with him and she benefited from his piety. And this is something else that we can learn from the life of Maryam alayhi salam, wherever you may be, to try and benefit yourself. Again, make the intention like she did to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. I want to make my rectification because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to bless those people with this opportunity who are blessed individuals themselves. How do you become a blessed individual? Well, you have to do those things that are blessed. Stay away from those things which are wretched, which are evil, which are considered vice and sin. To do this, we need good company. We need the company of the pious. And we learn this from Maryam alayhi salam, how she benefited from the company of Zakaria alayhi salam. So this was uh, num the lesson number two we take from the life of Maryam alayhi salam in terms of serving the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa. And we see the women of Palestine, these halaqat of ilm, they still continue inside Masjid al-Aqsa and outside Masjid al-Aqsa. Again, they are doing it following the footsteps of Maryam alayhi salam. If you go to the Dome of the Rock, for example, the Dome of the Rock today uh, many, many years ago, we're talking about during the Mamluk period and also in the Ottoman period as well. Just like in the Haramain, in Mecca in particular, you had four jama'ah, four congregations of Salah. So you had the Hanafi jama'ah, you had the Shafi'i, the Maliki and the Hanbali. There were four Salahs that would take place in the Haram of Mecca. And the Hanafi Imam would lead the Hanafis and the Shafi Imam would lead. Same thing happened in Masjid Al-Aqsa as well for a long period of time. Uh, so because Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah, he was a Shafi'i, he was a staunch Shafi'i. So he established Shafi, the Shafi'i fiqh in Palestine. Uh, whereas prior to that, many people were of the Hanbali Madhab. Uh, and there were many Malikiya that came with him uh, from North Africa. That's why we have Babul Maghariba. So we'll come on to that in a moment. So Imam uh, Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah uh, had a lot of influence in, in terms of establishing the Shafi'i fiqh in those lands. So the main salah that would take place in the Musalla al-Qibli would be done by the Shafi'i Imam. And the Dome of the Rock, that is where the Hanafi Imam would lead the prayer. And the, what we call the Islamic Museum today was originally the Jami al-Maghariba, the Musalla of the Moroccans or the North Africans. So the Maliki Imam would lead the salah there. And during those periods, there were very few uh, Hanabila, uh, so there wasn't like a fixed place where the Hanbali Imam would lead. Sometimes it was by the Sabil of Ashraf Qaitbai and sometimes it was by the Madrasa al-Ashrafiyya uh, around that area where the Hanbali Imam would lead the prayer. Nowadays, the Qubbatul Sakhra, the Dome of the Rock, almost 90% of the people in there are women. Um, women have lessons of tafsir in there, they have lessons of seerah in there, and generally they occupy that area and they are busy in their engaging ibadah and learning of ilm. And at times like Jummah, for example, 
And when it's very busy, uh, Taraweeh, for example, in Ramadan, uh, it's only women allowed in there. Uh, the men have many other areas, but women, you'll find it full of women. So not just that area, there are other areas as well, but that in particular, we find that they are establishing these um, circles of ilm. So that's number two. Uh, the third lesson we, we, we take from the life of Maryam salam is her ibadah, her worship. And this is something we need. Uh, this cause is not just something that will work by uh, political efforts. It's not going to work just by activism and going to marches and demonstrations and protests and rallies and signing petitions. It's not going to work just by boycotting certain products. It's not going to work by having a, a, even a military invasion. These things are all there in its place. The first and the foremost thing that we need is ibadah, is that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we learn this from Maryam alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of her ibadah, he raised her men 34 times. Maryam is mentioned in the Quran. And a whole surah we have dedicated to Surah Maryam and then her family, Surah Ali Imran. Two huge surahs are mentioned. And in particular, in Surah Ali Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to Maryam directly. And Allah says to her, Ya Maryam, uqnuti li rabbiki, wasjudi warka'i ma'arraki'in. O oh Maryam, dedicate yourself for your Allah in ibadah and make plenty of sujood and make ruku with the people that make ruku. When everybody's making ruku, you also make ruku as well. It could mean when, you, when we pray in congregation or it could generally in, in reference to when the people of piety are bowing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you also bow because this is the first and foremost and the most important step to serve the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa that will lead to the liberation. So this is an important lesson we take from Maryam alayhi salam. فَاتَّخَذَتْ مِن دُونِهِمْ حِجَابًا فَأَرْسَلْنَا إِلَيْهَا رُوحَنًا فَتَمَثَّلَ لَهَا بَشَرًا سَوِيًّا We find that Maryam alayhi salam had secluded herself. She went away from the people. And one of the reasons for this was her ibadah and her spending her time in her chamber and turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala piety has an impact Quran tells us Quran tells us when it talks about Masjid Al-Aqsa in Surah Al-Isra we have the concept of Salah and Fasad Salah is righteousness Fasad is corruption when Salah and righteousness comes corruption will go when corruption increases then we find that Salah goes ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِ النَّاسِ Just like when people commit sins, it causes chaos in the world. When there is righteousness, there is piety, there is Salah, there is Taqwa, there is Quran, there is Dhikrullah, and there is turning to Allah in Dua and serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course it's going to have positive uh, results. It's going to benefit not just the person, but the environment as well. And this is what we find in the life of Maryam salam, that one of the greatest uh, means to liberating Masjid Al-Aqsa is dedicating ourselves to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if my sister and my brother wants to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, if you're not amongst those who worship Allah as much as you should, 
or you do but you want to increase make this intention that oh Allah I'm increasing two rakat nafal or I'm gonna start reading two rakat nafal obviously to become closer to Allah for the forgiveness of my sins and make this intention oh Allah towards the liberation of Baytul Maqdis because this will don't think it insignificant look the mother of Maryam she just made a vow she made a vow she didn't do anything else she made a vow and that even your intent if you're truthful and sincere leave the rest to Allah Allah will put barakah and show you the results maybe you see the results today maybe you don't see the results today did the mother of Maryam see all of the results we don't know did she see what happened afterwards that she not only had Maryam but all of the blessings of being looked after after Zakaria her being mentioned 34 times in the Quran a whole surah dedicated to her her family and then to her daughter and then comes Isa we've not even started talking about Isa all of this continued from there because remember she made the dua not just for her child wa inni Maryam wa inni wa she even prayed for the children so don't worry about the results and the outcome make the intention and try you say i'm reading this much quran okay yes i will get reward reward is there uh, i will purify my heart the darkness will be removed i will i want to get rid of this problem in my life yes but also make the intention i want it to go towards the liberation of baytul maqdis and this is what these individuals did quran is telling us even their birth of children you know for us it's a whole different thing we live in a whole different world altogether why we do the things that we do in our life they live for this cause so so this is something we find in the life of Maryam salam lesson number four taqwa and her iffa uh, modesty chastity when we speak about modesty and chastity, generally it's always aimed towards women. It's for both. Just like women need to be chaste and modest, men do as well. A lot of times men think that they can get away with it and they can do what they want and women have to cover up and women have to... No, it's, it's for both. Modesty for men, modesty for women. Chastity for men, chastity for women. So women get really annoyed a lot of the times thinking, why is he always addressed to the women? And some men sometimes give this image. Remember, Quran speaks to the men and he also speaks to the women as well. Just like men, uh, women are told to be modest, men are also told to be modest as well. Haya is important for everybody. And we find this in the life of Maryam alayhi salam, where when she had secluded herself. So Quran tells us that she went that extra step whether she went out there to take a ritual bath so she came out of Masjid al-Aqsa she went to her family home and some of the scholars mentioned she went left the masjid because she was experiencing her monthly cycle so now she's completed the cycle she's gone to take a bath so not only did she go really far in the distance Quran says that she uh, she went behind a wall so it's like double privacy so she was already at a distance of from people but then min dunihim hijaban so she, uh, she, she drew a curtain or she went behind a mountain or she went behind a wall. So double protection, ensuring that when she goes into privacy, she is being modest and chaste. And then what happens at that time, Allah says, فَأَرَسَلْنَا إِلَيْهَا رُوحَنَا We sent our Ruhul Qudus, meaning Jibreel, to her. فَتَمَثَّلَ لَهَا بَشَرًا سَوِيَّةً This is amazing. 
Quran says that Jibreel then took the form of a complete human being, laha, especially for Maryam. This was another blessing for Maryam, that Jibreel appeared for her, just for her, on this occasion, in the form of the most complete and perfect human being. Now, what happens is she addresses Jibreel. She didn't know it was Jibreel. Now look, Maryam had a threshold of taqwa. And she's teaching us. She's teaching the men. And she's addressing Jibreel who was in the form of a man. And said, if you've got even in, in, in Arabic, we find it for taqlil. To show even a little bit. In kunta taqiyya, even if you, if you have even an ounce of taqwa inside you, no, not, I'm not asking you to be a muttaqi for his gar and a very, very pious person. Even if you have an ounce of taqwa, you wouldn't be here now. I'm getting changed. I'm in my privacy. I've gone far away and I've drawn a curtain and a barrier and you've appeared in front. If you have even an ounce of taqwa, this is, this is what Maryam is teaching the men of the world. That if, if we have even a little bit of taqwa, then we wouldn't be looking at those things we shouldn't be supposed to be look at. This is the taqwa should be adopted. Even this is not this is not a high level of taqwa. This is the lowest level. She says, In kunta taqiyya, if you have even a little bit of taqwa inside you, I expect from you you wouldn't be here at this time. Obviously, the story goes on, and he wasn't a human being, it was Jibril. And Jibril then gives the good news of the child and the story goes on. So this is something else we learn from the life of Maryam. Iffah and modesty, chastity. Again, something for the men, something for the women. So if, if for example, I am a person today, I want to serve, whether you are male or female, this is applicable to everybody. You want to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, you want to help that cause, then one change and something you can do that will have a massive impact. You might not see it. You might think, what can I do? I'm so far away. Yes, you can. Is become a modest person. Introduce chastity in our lives with this intention that, oh Allah, just like Maryam addressed Jibreel at the time, thinking that he was a man, and said, even if you have an ounce of taqwa inside you, you wouldn't be here looking at me in this condition now. Oh Allah, I want to become a person of taqwa so that he helps towards the liberation of Baytul Maqdis. Don't you think Allah will help us and support us? Of course he will. Of course he will. So we make the intention. So this is another lesson. Again, not just for women. She was a role model for all of us. Uh, so this is another lesson we can learn from the life of Maryam alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continued to bless her in many different ways. So taqwa, staying away from sins, and in particular, um, staying away from those things which are considered as immodest, immoral, uh, very important in this time of corruption and fitna. Remember, Baytul Maqdis, Baytul Maqdis, you know, we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Quddus, the holy, the pure. Baytul Maqdis is the house of holy, meaning the pure place. So to serve that, we need to try and work to purify ourselves. 
And if we are not purifying ourselves, then we can't expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept us for this cause. We need to work towards pure. Obviously, none of us can be claimed to be pure. We are all impure. But we have to work towards this uh, purifying ourselves. Lesson number five from the life of Maryam alayhi salam is how she abstained from the, the pleasures of the world and how she dedicated herself by certain acts of worship for example fasting so our sisters can do this wherever they are in the world brothers can do this as well one day think today you know today masjid al-aqsa and palestine jerusalem had a very difficult day because after two failed attempts of carrying out the flag march in jerusalem today they carried it out of course they didn't go in the muslim neighborhoods but they carried out this flag march they wanted to get seventy thousand people i don't think they were anywhere near that and most of the people, when I saw the videos, they were all kids under 15. So I don't think much was achieved by them. But they were chanting. They started off this march by swearing at the Prophet ﷺ. This is today. Today, this happened today. And uh, I, I think about 20 Palestinians were attacked by the police. Some of them hospitalized as a result of this march as well. Normally what happens, they go through the Muslim areas. And as a result of which the Muslim shops have to all shut they sometimes break the shutters, they break the stalls, they, they steal a lot of the property and the, the belongings from these shops. And it's a di very difficult time. They smash the windows of the houses and the cars. So they were chanting death to the Arabs. They were chanting uh, vile things about the Prophet So today could have been a day, for example, where a brother or a sister could think that today I'm going to keep an optional fast. And the intention is, oh Allah, I'm keeping this fast so that you know you assist the people of Baytul Maqdis so that this goes towards the the liberation of Baytul Maqdis this is something very noble and Maryam alayhi salam we learn this from her life that from the time she came into this world the whole, her whole existence was about this because remember what was her mother's intention that this child is dedicated to the masjid what do you do in a masjid but there's many things you can do in the masjid. But the main purpose of being in a masjid is to pray, to dedicate yourself, is ibadah. Her whole life was based on this. And she, she spent a lot of time in her chamber in the mimbar, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But alongside this we find uh, the story when, you know, she brings the child. Isa alayhi salam is born. Just fast forward a little bit. We can't go into all of the details. And when she's going and she's worried, what is she going to say to the people? Because Allah told her, just point to the baby and say, speak to the child. And well, what am I going to do? And what if they start asking me questions? What did Allah tell her to do and say to the people? I can't talk. Why? Because I'm fasting. I'm fasting. Now, the scholars of Tafsir mention that that shows us that that was a normal practice that she used to carry out regularly because imagine it wasn't something she did normally even nowadays if if, if you're not a person that you know fast normally and you wake up one day and, and your family members come down and you they're having breakfast or lunch or something come on and you say oh, i'm fasting today like they're going to be what oh, really no way not you anybody can not you you you, you wouldn't fast you're the last person to fast so if Maryam went there and something as dramatic as this has happened where she's appeared with a baby and she goes, oh, I'm fasting today. 
Like, do you, do you really think people were going to believe her? They probably think that she's trying to get out of it. Scholars of Tafsir mentioned that the fact that she mentioned that shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told her to mention something that she already had a habit of doing. That when she says it, people won't question her any further. They'll know immediately, oh yes, we know her. She does fast. And in those days, you could fast uh, from speaking. I think I need some of those fasts. So you fast that you're not going to speak from this time to this time. So we don't have that in our Sharia. But in that Sharia, you did have that type of fasting. So it shows you that she was not just, you know, she wasn't just an activist that went out signing petitions, taking part in demonstrations, um, you know. Uh, she was doing everything. So she was in ribat, she was praying, she was fasting as well regularly. And she was a person who dedicated herself. So this is also another important lesson we take from the life of, uh, of Maryam alayhi salam is to dedicate yourself uh, in, in terms of whether it be carrying out optional fast, whether it be reciting Quran, giving sadaqah for this cause, you know, on a regular basis. That I'm going, oh Allah, I'm giving sadaqah. You know, we give sadaqah when somebody's ill. Or we give sadaqah for success in our work, in our house, for the for a protection of our children. We give sadaqah, for example, when 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 we want to pass a test, for example. How many times have I given sadaqah for the sake of Masjidul Aqsa and Baytul Maqdis? So this is also something we can do, a dedication, just like Maryam alayhi salam did, as we learn from the Quran. So these were some of the lessons we can take from the life of Maryam alayhi salam. So that was the first part of today. Now, this is part two now. So that was about Maryam. And remember, those actions, who is she a role model for mainly? For the women who are living in Baytul Maqdis in Palestine. That doesn't mean that those who are living out don't need to do those things. No. What, what it means is she was a Palestinian. She lived there. And this is, you can see, take inspiration from there. And you can see the women there, mashallah, are following in those footsteps. They fast regularly. Plenty of Quran is being recited. They have these halaqat of ilm. They revive the environment of Masjid al-Aqsa. They frequent it. And many, a lot of times you see more women than men at times. And in the world, there are more women than men. That's the reality. So we need both. We need all three. We need the men, we need the women, we need the children. And the women are encouraging the men also, encouraging the children also. Just a uh, few days ago, you will have all seen an iconic uh, picture of the 14-year-old youngster, Muhammad al-Fakhuri, who was passing by uh, the Damascus Gate outside the old city of Jerusalem, and he noticed some settlers there, and they had the Israeli flag. So he snatched it from their hands and he put it into the bin to show them the truth. As a result of which, he was arrested. Now when he's being arrested, they got zip tie and, and tied his hands really tight. And then he's facing the camera and he gives this beautiful smile. And that smile, you find it's, it's gone viral. Where despite, you know, you've got like five, six soldiers surrounding him. They've got like guns and everything, you name it. It's all loaded. And this young kid, 14-year-old kid who has just wearing t-shirt and jeans, going about his day-to-day -day life, he doesn't have anything with him, no friends, no family, nothing at all. And, uh, you know, he's alone. You know, his family have been pushed away to a distance. 
and he, he's there alone and he's got this beautiful smile. And then later on, they show a video of him being entered into the, the police station for questioning and interrogation. And the last thing we find uh, is his, his mother shouting out from the back, Ya Muhammad, irfa ra'sak. Muhammad, raise your head up high. Don't ever let it be that in front of these occupants, you lower your head or you show them. Of course, they're humans. They feel pain. They feel emotion. But she's saying, don't let them see your pain. Don't let them see your tears. Don't let them see that you're hurt. She said, irfa ra'sak. You know, imagine if it was one of us, what would we do? Like, our mothers would be going mad and crazy. Like, you know, and she's saying this from behind, irfa ra'sak. And... You know, he goes and then he was freed a few days later and he can't go to Masjid al-Aqsa for a number of days and they've put a huge fine upon him and until the end of the month he can't take part in any of the protests. If he does, then there's a fine of 60,000 shekel or something, something silly like that anyway. That's just one example of hundreds, um, well, should I say thousands uh, that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Nevertheless, let, let, let's, let's, let's move on. Time doesn't allow us to go into detail. Now, we're going to speak about the second woman. And this is more relatable in the sense that this woman wasn't a Palestinian. She lived in Medina Munawwara. So she was out of Palestine. But she served the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, living in the household of the Prophet ﷺ. So many lessons we can take from her. Let us try and uh, continue so that we are able to finish inshallah by Salatul Maghrib. Who was this? This was a Sahabiya. We don't hear about her much. Her name is Maymuna bintu Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anha. Some have said Maymuna bintu Sa'id and some have called her only Maymuna. And some of the scholars of Hadith say all three are referring to one person. So it's not talking about Maymuna bintu Harith. This is talking about Maymuna bintu Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she was, she was a, a slave. She was freed by the Prophet Sallallahu She was the Khadima and the, the, the helper of the Prophet Sallallahu She stayed there. She helped him. She served him. She served his household. And she was blessed with this privilege. Just like, and what an amazing privilege. This wasn't something, uh, serving the Prophet Sallallahu I mean, can you get anything greater than that? This is something that Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu was so proud of. He, what did he say? He says, I served the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years. Never did he say to me, Anas, why did you do this? Or Anas, why did you not do this? Abdullah ibn Abbas, he served the Prophet ﷺ. He placed water. The Prophet ﷺ went to answer the call of nature. He came out. He found somebody had placed water there so the Prophet ﷺ could use it for wudu. Who is it? Who, who did this khidmah? Who served me by placing water? He says, uh, it was me. And he gave him a dua. Allahumma allimhu al-kitab wa faqihhu fi al-deen. Oh Allah, give Ibn Abbas the knowledge of the Quran and give him the understanding of the deen. And who does he become? He becomes the imam of the mufassireen. Great senior sahaba would go knocking on the door of Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu to understand the tafsir of the Quran as a result of this khidmah. So khidmah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, any opportunity, he's known as sahibu siwaq the one who would carry the miswak of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sahibun Na'alain, he would carry the sandals of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sahibul Wisada, carry the pillow of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Serving the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was an amazing thing. 
This was a great privilege. And Maymuna bintu Sa'da radiyallahu ta'ala anha is one of those women who had that privilege to serve the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to do his khidmah. And whilst doing this, you can imagine how many, and she was, she, she's getting the tarbiyah and the upbringing directly from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And she's experiencing lengthy, now the khadim is able to spend lengthy times with the makhdoom. A teacher, a student is able to see the teacher much closely. A person who is serving, imagine Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala, many a time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would go visiting to somebody's house. Anas ibn Malik would be with him. We find narrations where he's invited for food and Anas ibn Malik also partakes of, of the meal. And then he would narrate certain incidents from them. So similarly, Maymunatu bintu Sa'da radiallahu ta'ala anha, this amazing woman, she has this opportunity of spending this lengthy period and she benefited from this tarbiyah of the Prophet sallallahu and just like the Prophet was the Prophet for the rich people, he was also for the poor as well. Just like he was a Prophet for the free, he was a Prophet for the slaves as well. And she was once a slave. This didn't stop her from serving the Prophet and also, also then uh, advancing and, and, and making progress in this area where she learned and she took great benefit from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, our point of reference today is one particular hadith that we hear only from her and nobody else. This hadith we hear from her and nobody else. And that is directly from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on your behalf, on behalf of the whole ummah, she asked a question and not just a question. She asked a fatwa from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, somebody who's there, she could have asked something about herself. She could have asked something for the rest of the women. She could have asked something for her own spiritual development. She could have asked something to do with the Quran or to understand a, another hadith of the Prophet She could have requested for dua. But being there in the presence of the Prophet she chose to ask a question regarding Baytul Maqdis. And this hadith has become an amazing lesson for all of us. Let's look at the hadith first of all and understand how we can derive lessons from them. So she said, Ya Nabi Allah, aftina fi baytil maqdis. Very unique style of questioning. O Prophet of Allah, she didn't say aftini. Give me a fatwa. Give me a detailed explanation about baytul maqdis. She says, aftina fi baytil maqdis. Like for all of us, meaning the whole of the ummah, on behalf of everybody, she asked. And most likely, she was alone at that time because nobody else narrates this. So she's saying, Aftina. So she's understanding that this is a cause. Remember, at that time, Masjid al Aqsa was occupied by, by which we, they refer to as a room. Uh, which we say the Romans, but they weren't in Rome, were they at the time? They were in Byzantium, which is Istanbul and Turkey today. So the Byzantians were the ones that were occupying uh, Baytul Maqdis at the time. So remember at that time, so she asked this question, Ya Nabi Allah, aftina fi Baytul Maqdis. Give us a fatwa regarding Baytul Maqdis. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam responded her by saying, Ardul manshari wal mahshar. O Maymuna, and everybody else who's going to hear this, this Baytul Maqdis, Masjid Al-Aqsa, is a land of resurrection and the land of gathering on day of Qiyamah. And then he said, Ituhu, go there. 
فصلوا فيه and go and pray salah in Masjid Al-Aqsa فإن صلاة فيه كألف صلاة فيما سواه because praying one salah there it's like praying a thousand salah elsewhere so God, so he mentioned that it's going to be a land of resurrection he's mentioned it's going to be uh, you should go there and pray salah there and then he mentioned a virtue that praying one salah there you get it's like thousand salah now she didn't stop there so remember you get some people that learn so you learn and you increase your information she wasn't one of those she's taught us a lesson that you just don't learn for the sake of learning you don't learn just to increase your knowledge or statistics or data right i know this many things i know this history and from there and there i know the names of these you know individuals or i know this event that took place on this particular time no it wasn't just that she wanted to put it into practice you've told me this now how i want to practically now implement this i want to go there you've told me the reward that Masjid Al-Aqsa is a place which is going to be the land of resurrection. She, she, she was amazed by it. She thought, wow, is that how amazing that place is? And then he told her, go and pray salah there. Because one salah there, you get the reward of a thousand salah. So now she wants to go there. She's restless because she wants to go there. And she's thinking of how. So she's already, she's made this into a cause. This is not just a topic. That, okay, the people of Palestine will deal with. She wants to be now part of this cause. She's motivated. And she's thinking about it. This, this is how change occurs. Change doesn't just occur by information. Lots of information out there. No. You take the information. You start thinking about it. You become passionate about it. And now within you, there should be this restlessness. You want everyone to know about this. Talk about it to everybody that you see. And make it your mission. And then we see that this becomes now a passion. And then, then that translates into uh, action. And then that action then brings about change. This is how change comes. Otherwise, just sitting back and saying, yes, you know, this is happening over there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I attended a lecture. I listened to one bayano. That's not going to do anything. And this is what we learn from Maimuna radiallahu anha. She, she got this information. So this is like attending a lecture. She said, Aftina fi Baytul Maqdis, the Prophet told her, Ardul Manshari wal Mahshar, Etuhu Fasallu fihi, go there, pray there, the reward is. Now, what did she say after this? Qalat, look at this. Araita mallam yutik ayyata hammala ilayhi aw yatiyahu. O Prophet of Allah, what if someone doesn't have a camel, a horse, somebody doesn't have a ride, somebody doesn't have the financial ability? Somebody can't afford a plane ticket. Somebody doesn't have a vehicle that will carry them from Medina to Baytul Maqdis or from anywhere. Remember, this is a woman who's an example for everybody who's living out of Palestine. If we don't have the money, well, it's not just always about the money. It's about the opportunity. At the moment, there's restrictions of COVID. From 1st of July, they're going to start allowing tourists. So what if you can't go there? I want to go there now. You've told me the fadail. I want to be there now. I want to pray. How, how, what do I do? So she says, I want to go there, but what if I don't have the means? I don't have the conveyance. I don't have a camel. She, remember, she, is, she was a slave. Okay? She was a, she's, she's been freed, but she was a slave. She doesn't have much money. She's a khadima in the house of the Prophet ﷺ. So what if I don't have that which will take me there? 
So the Prophet wasallam now gives her a solution. We don't find this for anything else. He wasallam says, فَلْيُهْدِي إِلَيْهِ زَيْتًا يُسْرَجُ فِيهِ Okay, you can't go to Baytul Maqdis. Then, if you can't go, then you should send some oil. And that oil will be used to burn in the lanterns of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And then he goes on to say, فَإِنَّ مَنْ أَهْدَى لَهُ كَانَ كَمَنْ صَلَّى فِيهِ Because anybody who sends a gift to Masjid Al-Aqsa, now this second time he doesn't mention oil. First he said oil, and then he keeps it general. Whoever gives anything, whoever dedicates anything, including this lecture that you're attending now, those who are listening, you're doing this, if your intention is you're doing it for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, this is included now. Man ahda lahu, whoever gifts anything for Masjid Al-Aqsa, is like the person who prayed salah in there. That 1,000 reward, if your intention now is not just to listen to the lecture to increase information, but you're doing this, why? For the cause of serving Masjid Al-Aqsa. Then you will get every time you do anything, whether it's forwarding or sharing a positive message regarding Masjid Al-Aqsa, whether it be attending an event, whether it be learning something, whether it be donating to those who are affected there, all the ahadith that mention the reward of salah in Masjid Al-Aqsa, you're getting that sitting here in the UK or wherever you are in the world. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this. Who's telling you this? The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this hadith has been re reported by Ibn Majah, Imam Al-Tabarani, uh, Mizzi, and Ibn Hajar, and Ibn Rajab Al-Hanbali, and others also. Now, very quickly, we're going to go through what this woman has taught us. How did she help and serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, and how we, as people who don't live in Palestine, can take lessons from her, from a woman. Remember, these lessons are for the women and also for the men as well. So this is a guide not only for women, for all of us. Number one, Talabul Ilm. Most important and the first and the foremost step, if anybody wants to serve the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa or any cause for that matter, if you want to serve any cause, the first step we must take is to learn, to study, to understand and to know. Because one of the most disastrous things happening today is activism based on ignorance. Whether it be political activism or people being active in any shape or form. I'm speaking specifically about the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Activism which is based on ignorance is going to result in catastrophe. It's going to be a catastrophe. Because you don't know what you're fighting for. You don't know what you're working for. And we find examples of this. So what she did was she wanted to learn. So from all the questions she could have asked, she went to the Prophet wasallam and she asked, ask the people that know, Aftina fi Baytul Maqdis. O Prophet of Allah, I want to learn about Masjid Al-Aqsa. Baytul, please teach me. Tell me. I want to know. So this is the first step. Aftina fi Baytul Maqdis. Despite, remember, despite knowing Baytul Maqdis was under occupation by the Romans at the time. That didn't stop her. She said, Aftina fi Baytul Maqdis. Tell me about it. And she learned. And she didn't make any excuses. She was busy. What was she doing? 
Her original task, what was her task? Serving the Prophet Can you get a greater task than that? No. She didn't say, I, I'm so busy, I'm serving the Messenger of Allah I don't have time. That's another lesson we learn from her in terms of knowledge that despite how busy you are, this is a cause a woman who was serving the Prophet ﷺ, even she took some time out to learn and study about Masjid Al-Aqsa and she was cons 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 concerned regarding it. Normally when somebody is busy and, uh, and engaged in something, we, we tend not to uh, you know, engage them. A person that's already engaged, we shouldn't sort of uh, impose anything upon them. Somebody's making wudu, you let them carry on making wudu, don't make salam to them. Somebody's, for example, carrying some shopping and you go, Assalamu alaikum, and you want them to shake your hand. They don't need to do musafa at that time. It's sufficient. They'll get the reward for it without them doing it. They're already occupied in something. They don't need to do it. A slave, for example, they don't need to attend Jumu'ah. They're, they're busy. They're serving their, their masters. I mean, if they pray, well and good. But if they don't, there's no Jumu'ah upon the slaves or upon the weak, those who are ill, for example, even women as well. They're busy. They've got tasks to do. But despite her having this excuse, she was busy. She was serving the Prophet ﷺ. She didn't use that excuse. Rather, she went beyond and said, no, I'm going to make time for this. And not only did she learn. So one is learning and then is to have concern and then is to be passionate and then to change this into action and then to bring about change. And we find this in the life of Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she, on behalf of, I mean, being a slave, on behalf of the whole of the Ummah, didn't she do us such a great favor by asking this question, first of all, Aftina fi bayt al-Maqdis. So that's something she's done, amazing, right? Being in Medina Munawwara, not having any money, not having the means to go there. Now, despite that, what she does is then, uh, she continues to sacrifice herself by instead of us, she could have asked a personal dua, she could have asked something for herself, she could have asked a different mas'ala related to her personal individual life. But instead she decided to say, Oh Prophet of Allah, what about those people who can't go there? They can't afford to go there. They don't have a vehicle that would carry them there. What happens in that case? So this is another sacrifice. This is a sacrifice. You know, imagine you were given time with the prime minister or with the king and you've got 10 minutes. Okay, at that time, would you put your own petition forward and appeal for your own child's place in the local school or something, whatever you want or whatever you need? Or would you start speaking about the rest of the world and the crisis that's taking place? She was with the Prophet ﷺ. She could have benefited herself personally, but she understood that this is a cause for the whole of the Ummah. This is something that will affect everybody and everybody will benefit. So she sacrificed her personal need and asked on behalf of the whole of the Ummah, Aftina fi Baytil Maqdis, and then the hadith continues. Now, when we speak about knowledge, 
why do we, we need to learn we need to study study the history of palestine the history of masjid al-aqsa the significance the virtues why it's important what's the connection of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam why is it the most contested land what has allah said in the quran what do the hadith mention how was our ulama of the past the salafus salihin and their connection to masjid al-aqsa and what can i do to help the cause and also studying what's happening now why is it happening if we don't learn these things, you want to be passionate and have, be active to help and serve Masjid Al-Aqsa. But if we don't have the knowledge, the knowledge of the history, of the virtue, of the significance, and also the knowledge of the current affairs, if we don't have this, then we find, for example, nowadays, many people are saying, I, I, I told you about the takbir before, that many women are making takbir. Sometimes they make takbir, they get arrested. Now, some people say, and even recent days, people said, oh, the Palestinians, you know, they shouldn't have resisted. They should have, because what's happening is because the Palestinians resisted, look how many people are getting killed. Only an ignorant person would say something like this. This shows that you haven't studied and understood Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine. And you, if you end up coming out with statements like this, this is what makes people despondent and distant from the cause. Is that what the French did? Is that what the Algerians did? Okay, when they were occupied by the French? Or despite losing millions of people, they continued to resist. And then finally they got their country back. If it's that, then you, you, what, they should just sit back. If somebody comes to your house, okay, one of them, Yaqub's come to your house as well. And... They say that this is mine. If I don't take it, somebody else is going to take it. What are you going to do? Just stay quiet and come on, Yaqub, come inside. Or you're going to be an example like the females of Palestine who started this whole campaign. Muna al-Kurd, a woman, a female. And this global uh, revival, you can say, was initiated by a woman, a young girl. That she stood up for her right, she resisted. Are we going to say, oh, she shouldn't resist? Because if she wouldn't have resisted, then she wouldn't have been arrested. So sometimes we end up saying these things because of ignorance. So the first thing we learn from Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha is ilm, is to learn, is to study. Number two is to have courage, the himma, to have courage and high hopes and aspirations. She's, where is she? She's in Medina Munawwara. She's a slave. She's in the house of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And what the, you know, in another narration we find that uh, when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said this hadith, this is quite interesting. She said that, Inni ja'altu ala nafsi, O Prophet of Allah, I've made a promise to myself, in Allahu alayka makkata an usalli fi baytil maqdis. Oh Allah, if Allah grants you the conquest and the fatah of Makkah, I'm going to go and pray Salah in Masjid al-Aqsa. That's courage. That's passion. She's in Medina Munawwara. And she's saying that, oh, oh Prophet of Allah, if Allah grants you the conquest of Makkah, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and pray Salah in Masjid al-Aqsa. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is telling her to calm down. La ala dalik. You can't do this. Because the Romans are there. The Byzantine Empire is there. How are you going to go there? And then she says, You know, I, don't worry. I will make my arrangements. I will make my arrangements. I will go and I'll come back. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, You're not going to be able to do this. 
That's not going to happen. You won't be able to. And she's saying, you know, no, I will. I'm going to, I'm going to make some means. And then the Prophet ﷺ showed her what to do. The Prophet ﷺ said, instead, why don't you do this? Send some oil there to be burnt in the lamps. Because if you do that, it's as if you have gone there and you have prayed there. As a result of this, the scholars have met Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali in Fadail al-Sham. He mentions, فَكَانَتْ Maymuna. Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha would send ila baytil maqdis kullu sana every year bimalin yashtari bihi zaytun every year she would send money to Palestine from Medina Munawwara so the people there can buy some oil on her behalf in her name and they can use it to light the lanterns of Masjid al-Aqsa hatta matat until she died and before she died fa'awsat bidhalika she made a wasiyah and a will that after I die carry this on and continue this act this is courage and this is a lesson for every one of us to take from the life of Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anham also we learn from her something very interesting is the concern for the people of Baytul Maqdis to follow the news. Because remember, this hadith is very interesting. In Medina Munawwara, what did he say? Send oil. Now, Medina Munawwara is not known for its olives, is it? Which is the place of olives? Baytul Maqdis. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Zaytun is linked to Baytul Maqdis, Masjid al-Aqsa. Even today, there's probably more than 600 olive trees inside Masjid al-Aqsa. It's a place of olives. So Medina is not the place of olives. Quran tells us Masjid al-Aqsa is the place of olives. So she's in Medina Munawwara. The Prophet is saying to her, send some olive oil to be burned in the lamps. Now, if you look at practically, did she send oil? No, she didn't. She sent money so that they could buy oil. Now, today there's electricity. They don't need oil. Okay? Are we going to say this hadith is now redundant and we can't use it? No. There's a greater meaning to it. So, number one, yes, you can send wealth, which would help the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa, but it doesn't necessarily mean just that. There are so many meanings we can take from this. One of them is what we mentioned earlier. That the Prophet ﷺ said, send some oil to be burnt in its lumps. And then he said, generally, whoever gifts anything or carries out anything for the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa, you get the reward of praying there. So that could mean any support for the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine. Whether it be monetary support, whether it be in the, in the form of ilm, what we are doing now. Whether it be encouraging people to learn about Baytul Maqdis Palestine, whether it be supporting those who are ill there, suffering, going through difficulties, whether it's supporting somebody's education there, whether it be taking part in a demonstration or avoiding certain things because this harms the Palestinians and it supports the occupiers, so I'm going to abstain. All of these things are included in doing something for the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa. Do you know if you do it with the right intention what you get? I'm not saying this. The Prophet wasallam has said this. He didn't restrict. Whoever dedicates anything 
for the sake of Masjidul Aqsa, Kana Kaman Salla Fihi is like the person who prays there. And time doesn't allow us to go into the hadith of the reward of praying there. You've already heard many of them. One of them today, you get the reward of 1000 salah. I'm just going to mention the hadith regarding Sulaiman alayhi salam when he completed the reconstruction of Baytul Maqdis. He made three duas. One of them was, Oh Allah, anybody who comes to this masjid, Masjidul Aqsa, and performs salah, make them return like the day they were born. From this we learn, whenever you do anything for the sake of Masjid Al-Aqsa, your sins are being forgiven. I'm not saying this. The hadith is saying this. And who is this credit due to? Maymuna bintu Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala. She was so passionate that she derived this from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam on behalf of the ummah. Wherever you are in the world, distance doesn't prevent you. Like we learn from her, she was in Medina. And she showed us practically how it can be done. So she's sending money every year to Baytul Maqdis from Medina Munawwara so this oil can be used. Nowadays, they don't use oil. Understand what they need. Understand what the need of the hour is. The greatest need of the hour is ilm and knowledge. Learn, study, understand the Palestinian cause. Understand the virtues and the significance. Understand the real history, not the distorted version. This is the first step. And if you do this with the intention of supporting the cause, this is man ahda lahu, fa inna man ahda lahu. This is doing something, dedicating it for the sake of Masjidul Aqsa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding whether you are dedicating ahda lahu could be gifting your time. It could be gifting your energy, gifting your passion. Somebody tells you to attend an event, okay, it's going to be one hour or two hours or it's in another city. Don't just think, oh, it's going to be a whole day wasted. No. Throughout, you'll be getting this reward. You are doing something, gifting. Masjid al-Aqsa isn't something small. It's not trivial. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has attached to it great significance. And he knew that towards the end of time, this is going to be the place where everything will return. And remember, the occupation today is considered one of the fitna of the jal. That's what you are fighting. When we make this dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min fitnatil masihi dajjal. One of the fitna of masihi dajjal today is the occupation of Baytul Maqdis. So when you are fighting this, this is what you are fighting. You are fighting that fitna in the footsteps of Maryam. In, in the Quranic guidance, in the footsteps of Maymuna, this is the guidance from the household of the Prophet ﷺ because this is where she was. She served the Prophet ﷺ. So with your energy, with your passion, with your concern, with your effort, with your words, even if you go from here today and you share, it's about the intention. Remember where we started from. The mother of Maryam, Hanna, she had an intention. That's all she did. She made a vow that this child, I want to dedicate it for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. You have Maryam. Okay, you have a mention in the Quran. All of the blessings, Zakaria looking after her. She's a pious and devout woman. To the extent we learn that from all of the women in the world, at that time, she was the most pious and most significant and the most noble lady to exist in the world at that time. So we conclude by mentioning that it's important that we apply both lessons, the lessons we learn from the life of Maryam alayhi salam, 
and also the lessons that we learn from the life of Maymuna bin Sa'd radiyallahu ta'ala anha. We make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability to implement this in our lives and helps us to serve the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala utilizes and not replaces. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.